happy to report that your intrepid hosts of Lamenting the Leafs have received five of six vaccine shots. Uh, two of us got our second dose in the last 36 hours or so. Nick booked his today. Keith, how, how are you feeling over there? I felt like a bag of shit all day, but I am doing better now. I woke up at like four in the morning with a crazy headache. I got it yesterday at like two in the afternoon. And yeah, it was like three or four this morning. I woke up like not in a good place and then basically just put four blankets on my bed and shivered. And then, uh, I, yeah, I was pretty just groggy all day, but I'm feeling a lot better now. Um, but yeah, clearly small price to pay. I'm fucking excited. The travel restrictions are loosening up here. We get the, the bubbles back. I'm, I'm ready to rock. Yeah, I got I got mine today, and a uh, l- little. Yeah, you'll feel it. You'll feel it tomorrow for sure. Yeah, a little more sore than the first one, a little woozy, but yeah, tomorrow will probably will be the rough, uh, the rough yeah. day. Um, and Nick, the Habs are out. How are you feeling? <laughs> Definitely a lot better than I was. What uh, three and a half, four weeks ago now? Whenever the hell it was that <sighs> they crushed yeah. our hopes and dreams for what seems like the millionth time. Uh, but yeah, our long national mm-hmm. nightmare is over. Nice uh, sigh of relief, if you will. Yeah, let's talk about the whole fucking. Let's talk about the whole Can- Canada's team thing. Like, yeah, fuck how many times that. have you had to have that conversation? I've had to have that. I work in a fucking office, right, with a bunch of hockey fans and stuff, and it's just like every other person's like, "Oh, you know, you got to go for the." No, I don't have to fucking go for them. Like, get out of here. I I can't stand that conversation. I think yeah. most people are in agreement with that. That are you know, as obsessed with, their, with the team as we are. Which team had more yeah. Canadian players? I'm pretty sure Tampa had more Canadian players on their roster. That, that I'm sure they did. Probably. So like, and I don't even care about that. It's more just the, the increasing bitterness of like, I did that in like, Oh four, like Calgary that, that run was like, yeah. you know, I, I really started to kind of get into hockey at that point in time. And then like, I was on the Oilers bandwagon in 06 and then obviously not for the Sens the following year. And then less and less. So each time another team has gotten yeah. there and obviously now it's just kind of the Leafs. I'm not fucking, uh, no, I'm not fucking so, 11 years old anymore. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not doing no. it. <laughs> and, and it's important to note that like out here on the East coast, right? Like, everyone's like Habs or Leafs and there's some Bruins, but like it's, you know, there, there are a lot of Habs fans. Like we, we all have close friends who are Habs fans. Oh, yeah. So like, there's a lot of people I'm happy for, um, that they had a nice run. And there's a lot of people that I, I was really happy for when the run ended. Speaking of that, <laughs> how's your dad doing? <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, no, it's, it's, um, it's been fun. Like, We'll talk a little bit more about it later in our Patreon episode, but uh, yeah, glad that, you know, it's glad for our Habs fan (laughs) friends that got to enjoy a long run, but even more glad that they didn't get to celebrate a fucking cup. You got a nice run. You got a nice run. Now make a bet with me on whether you'll make the playoffs next year. That's that's (laughs) all I'm saying. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's important to note that this is not an emergency pod. This is kind of an overdue pod, but we were already planning to record tonight. And then the news broke that Travis Dermott has agreed to a contract extension with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Two years, $1.5 million per season. And I saw a little bit of sticker shock on on this one, which I I don't really get. Like, um, kind of, I don't know if you guys saw, like, the, you know, what did did Travis Dermott do to double his salary? That was kind of a talking point. And, And, like... 
I, I guess like if that's the way you're going to go, like you have to also ask, like, what did he do to only deserve like an eleven thousand dollar raise last year or whatever it was? Right. Like this was kind of what the deal I was expecting him to get last time around. And then he just got like a, a little bump on his ELC. So to me, this kind of made sense. What are uh, your thoughts, Nick? You're obviously our, our, our resident Dermot guy. <laughs> no, I agree with you. I, I think it's almost like a case of making him whole, sort of, because like you said, he uh, he didn't get much of a raise on his entry-level deal, and he probably deserved more than the, the ticket he was playing on last year. I mean, one and a half million dollars for a guy that can suppress offense the way that he does, even if it's still in a third pair role. I mean, you could do a lot worse for a million and a half bucks on your third pair. But I still still believe that Travis Dermott has the potential to play in a top four role. I mean, we've saw what or we've seen what Jake Muzzin has done for Justin Hall. I, I don't think that anyone would argue Justin Hall is a more talented hockey player than Travis Dermott and not anyone that's you know watched them over the last couple of years like just speaking of raw tools Travis Dermott is clearly the more talented hockey player I I think that you know in the right situation playing with the right partner I think he's perfectly capable uh, of doing everything and more that Justin Hall has done so if if that's the way it goes and I mean, we're going to get into the whole expansion thing and who should yeah. be protected and who might get chosen or whatever. But I, I think if it, it does end up going that way and Travis Dermott's still here and is afforded the opportunity to play, you know, more significant minutes with, with a, a better partner, I think he has all the potential in the world to thrive in that role as well. Yeah, and, and even if he does end up, you know, at the end of this two-year deal is still a third-pair defenseman, you're not, it's it's not an overpay. Like a, a $1.5 for your third pair is fine it's it's yeah, a fine it's a fine deal and like a, a lot of people don't get into the weeds with some of the advanced numbers and stuff like that but if you go and you look at travis dermott's underlying metrics and yes we've qualified it that he plays third pair minutes he doesn't face the other team's top lines all the time or whatever but he can only play against the guys he's out on the ice against and he has consistently put up some of the best defensive numbers on the leafs year over year I think it's the second straight year that he had the best expected goals against for 60 minutes played, Mark, on the team. You said it, Keith. For a million and a half bucks, even if all he ever becomes is that third-pair defender that gives you those results, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, I mean, the the Jay Fresh cards had him at like 71% or 71, 71%, 71st percentile in, in wins above replacement, like 80th percentile in defense at even strength. Like, He's a good hockey player. He doesn't do anything that's going to wow you for the most part. A lot of what he does flies under the radar. We've all talked about that a million times. But I think like the point that I – or where I'm at with Dermot, I guess, is I haven't seen anything out of him that leads me to believe that he can't continue to do this against tougher competition. It's not like yeah. he's had an extended look on the second pair and failed. He's never really gotten that opportunity and it looked like he was going to and then he got hurt. It's it's like I, I'm not Even going not all the resolved. way back to Gardner a couple of years yeah. ago, right? Yeah. Like this goes back a while where it just seems like everything seems to go wrong for Dermot at the worst possible time. Like where Gardner gets that injury yeah. Dermot slides into the top four, literally gets hurt the, that's what the I, that's, first game. Yeah, exactly. you know, like, 
Yeah, I, I haven't seen anything to be like I've resolved myself to him being a career third pair guy. He's, what is he? Is he 24 or 25? Is he still 24? He'll be 25, he? but he'll be 25 like uh, by the, I think, December. So, so like, he, you know, he, he's at that point. Like, he, he's got to take that step. And, yeah. you know, it's like you said, you know, it's, it's even if he just goes and kills those minutes on the third pair, that's, you know, you're, you're, getting a good value out of that, I think. That's, but that's plus value. Ultimately, yeah. your hope, I think, is that, yeah, he, he slides in where Hall has been and, and can kind of, um, you know, it, log some more significant minutes in the top four and, you know, hopefully develop the, the offensive game a little bit because I think when you see a guy with those tools, you, you expect to see a little bit of the offensive game and that hasn't been there at the NHL level yet. So, you know, obviously, the the pay is kind of re- reflective of that, right? Like, you know, once once he starts to produce, that's where the money lies and maybe yeah. he'll get a, a start to get a chance to do that now. But, um, you know, I, I think it's just it's time, it, you know, arguably like overdue to, to, you know, throw him into the fire a little bit more here and, and give him some more um tougher minutes and and i just think that you know the the way that this team is structured to play defensively like i I think he's such a great fit with their system and we'll we'll talk a little bit more about it with the expansion draft chatter but i I just i I think that he's ultimately part of the plan here um and you know i I think that they have a they have a vision for him and you know it's kind of been slow coming along but um nice to see him get uh get get rewarded here yeah and i think at one point this season, when he was out of the lineup for a, like a game or two, Keith made that made a point to talk about how it had nothing to do with the way that yeah. he was playing. It was getting letting in, but like, there's really two things that have happened that have limited him. Apart from like we just talked about the injury and stuff, but from getting that extended look, and one of them is that he's left-handed, and the other one is that Hall never like. Hall didn't fuck up at any point this season to get taken out of that spot. Like he held onto it and full credit to Justin Hall. But like that, that was going to happen. It was like Travis's, it was Hall's kind of spot to lose and he just never lost it. Yeah. And that's exactly what happened. We talked about it going into the season. I think we all kind of kicked around the idea that Dermot could push Hall for that spot. Yeah. And Hall just never relinquished it. But I will say that I think as the season went on, I don't think that Justin Hall was quite the same player that we saw through maybe the first month of no. the season. He ran out of gas. It, yeah. And, and I mean, everyone's going to have their peaks and valleys and stuff. And I, I just think that when you, you see Hall have those lulls, that's when I think, why not see what Dermot can do in this role? They talked about wanting to, you know, give him minutes on the right side. They played him on the right side a little bit when he was paired with Sandine to end the season. I just think that's the the next logical step in his progression. And if he's going to be a part of this and Morgan Riley's not going anywhere, that's almost like the only destination for him at this point. But the, the thing about Dermot is I think that he is very much in the mold of what Kyle Dubas and Sheldon Keefe think a modern day defenseman should play like. Yeah. We've referenced it before the kind of like the TJ Brody light sort of thing. You know, Brody doesn't do a ton of flashy things either. He doesn't put up a ton of points. He's produced a lot more than Dermot has obviously, but it, you know, it's that same kind of thing where it just affects the game positively in so many little ways that maybe don't jump off the screen at you, just defending the rush, retrieving pucks and moving them forward and, and just pushing play in a positive direction and doing it with his feet and his brain 
I, I just think that he is very much in the mold of what Dubas and Keefe are looking for in terms of blue liners. Yeah. Yeah. And he'll come up again when we talk uh, expansion draft here in a little bit. Um, so two years for Dermot and um, uh, last week, the Leafs also announced that they'd signed Wayne Simmons to a two year deal that one for nine hundred thousand dollars per season, which I, I'm quite pleased with. I think anytime it's a variable contract you're you're happy with that I, and i don't know how much he has left in the tank but you know at that price point i'm i'm willing to kind of take a mulligan on this this past season and and, and run it back um a little bit uh, with with simmons keith what was your thought on this one yeah i mean he's a year younger than pat maroon and we saw pat maroon at least be a factor in in games like he i don't i i don't know if he should we should really be like you know looking at it as like he's maybe doesn't have the, you know anything in the tank but i i guess he's probably had more injuries in his career or whatever and more miles in his body but like I, he I, I don't know he i i'm i'm happy he's back because i like wayne simmons and i like the idea of wayne simmons and i've liked him when he was in philly and you know i like having him as a leaf and i like what he brings he definitely has something to prove for for me personally like i, I he's got to kind of win me back a little bit i really thought he was going to be more of a factor in the playoffs um, I, I know he's not going to fight all the time and I know like, that's not what I'm looking for, but I thought there'd be a bit more, you know, the, we saw it a couple of times, I think like in flashes and maybe it is to do, and I'm sure it has to do with his ice time and that he's not, you know, you know, out there all that much, but I just, I was underwhelmed, I guess is, is the best way to put it with, with his playoff performance. And I, you know, that's kind of part of the reason why he was brought in. So Definitely looking to see more out of him, uh, you know, laid down the stretch next year. Similar to how I feel about absolutely everybody on the team. I couldn't give, <laughs> I couldn't give a fuck what they do for the first 82 games of the season. Um, it's all, you know, it's all just a kind of prep period at that point. But yeah, got to see more. Yeah, I think uh, Simmons was definitely a little bit underwhelming after coming back from the, the wrist injury. But I was quite content with his role and performance on the team prior to that. Yeah, and, and yeah. you know, Simmons has said himself that that had an effect on him even after coming back, you know, timing wise and just the feel in his hands. Like he's not a guy that has great hands anyway. So, you know, trying to get that back after uh, a broken wrist, you can see how that would, you know, provide some difficulty for him. He did have some flashes in the playoffs. There was one game, I, I, like he, there, he had a shift there where it was like and he was mouthing uh, at the bench and stuff, and he was all over like loose pucks. There was one yeah. instance I, I thought he like he recovered like five loose pucks on one shift in the offensive zone. Is like okay, that is the kind of shift that can almost define a series. Yeah, if man. if things go your way, <laughs> and we all know that it ultimately did not. But, you know, for 900K, Cam said it. Like, you can bury this deal. I don't see any reason to be upset with it other than, you know, maybe you have the concern that Keith will be under some kind of, you know, obligation to keep him in the lineup yeah. every single night. Yeah. And as long as that's not the case and they are, are using him properly, I, I think that he can still be a valuable member of this team. They clearly still value what he brings off the ice, the the attitude that he brings to the locker room, what he does for the bench and the morale and things like that. And, and you know, we're we've everyone's been painting in broad strokes here since this all ended and fell apart again. But like, you really have to take stock of things and, and realize how close they really were to you know 
uh, flipping the narrative and being the team that moved on to the second round and maybe even beyond like Montreal did. And yeah, it didn't happen. But if you're going to make all your decisions and shit can everybody that was fucking part of it just because it didn't go your way this time around, I, I think you're like almost selling your, your own vision short, right? Um, if, if Dubas believed in adding Wayne Simmons and what he was capable of doing with this team last season, and you can get that again for cheaper and basically no risk. I just don't see the downside really. Yeah. Yeah. If he would have left, you know, it, it kind of would have felt like unfinished business to me a little bit. Like, like it, it Especially like in the playoffs, like you said, he, he he didn't deliver, you know, maybe as much as you would have hoped, but like he was in it. Like you remember the end of game two where he was like hacking at Edmondson and Sherratt. Like it, it felt like there were times in that series and down the stretch where he was really kind of laying the groundwork to, to to play out the rest of his career in Toronto. And obviously, like he he wants to be in Toronto because you know he he probably could have gotten at least you know more than a mil on a one-year deal somewhere if he wanted and probably somewhere that needed got himself a no trade clause so you know he he very much wants to be a maple leaf and yeah that's a great point cam like the fact that he was in it that or to that extent and going at guys like that this team still needs that just because it didn't work this time around doesn't mean that we're going to completely revert to not needing any kind of character or fucking balls on this team. And Wayne Simmons gives this team balls, plain and simple. Yeah. yeah. And it's, you know, it's, I wonder how much of it too is like, obviously he didn't look great at times, but like there was an oversaturation there a little bit on the vets, right? Like, so how 100%. much of that is because he was out there with Joe Thornton or right before or after Joe Thornton. And we're just watching these long stretches where, you know, the, the depth guys are just not making an impact on the game. Right. And, um, I, you know, I, I think that there's room for that, but yeah, like you said, it's, it's gotta be, you gotta balance it with, with what the lineup needs. And yeah, well, you know, maybe that's, he's, not a guy it's, it's in there every night to your point those guys none of them were really put in a position to succeed last year right like you're not yeah. going to get the best out of wayne simmons if he's skating alongside joe thornton every night and you're not going to get the best out of joe thornton if he's skating alongside wayne simmons every night so uh, i think we were all very much you know on board with uh, retaining simmons if the price was right before this even happened uh, i'm sure some people will point to us being a bit revisionist now that he signed and we've come around and we're happy yada yada i will say at any point, if we get news that the Leafs have re-signed Joe Thornton, oh no, I will, no, I will yeah. be fucking savage. Like all the respect in the world, the jumbo, but yeah, man, no. See I, you I later. Think I was I was done with Thornton thirty games into the season, man. Like I I don't know. Like it's cool that Joe Thornton's a Leaf. It sucked that it ended this way, and that he you know it didn't it didn't work out. Because again, like he's you know he's joe thornton like obviously you you want a guy like that on your team but it just flat out it just didn't work man we had one great moment with him with the ealers crap and and i think maybe that's what what some people's negativity towards simmons is coming from you know they saw how last season played out with thornton where it was very clear on several occasions that he either needed a night off or quite a few nights off and it just didn't happen. So I can understand the fear that people might have that it, it could turn into a similar situation with Simmons as the next year or two progress. But it, I don't think they'd be beholden to Wayne Simmons the same way that you would be to a Joe Thornton. Like I said it when we recorded a couple weeks ago, 
Like, who's going to be the guy to tell Joe fucking Thornton that he, yeah. he can't play anymore? Like, yeah. Now, if they announce that he's some sort of front office position for Joe Thornton, I'd be all for that. But Hell I don't yeah. ever want to see him <laughs> in the least jersey again. Yeah, it, it was cool and it was fun when, you know, it, it felt like, oh, maybe we can be the team that gives Joe Thornton the cup. But then once you kind of realize, like, this team is being weighed down by having too many guys like joe thornton right now um yeah that was kind of where it, it flipped a bit and yeah that's I, I i don't think there's room for any more vets period whether it's thornton i mean you know old slow vets like like i think we've got our quota with with spezza and, and simmons like i talked about in the last pod like spets is going to drop off here at some point you, you don't you don't want to have a full line of those guys if you know, it comes down to it, right? And um, even as it stands right now, you know, what does that fourth line look like? It's probably Spezza with Simmons on the right wing, you know, just talking about what we have in-house today. That's not ideal. Yeah. No, no you're right. Um, so moving on from uh, player personnel moves, the Toronto Maple Leafs have hired Ryan Hardy, who is an up, up-and-coming executive. Uh, they hired him away from the Chicago Steel of the USHL, and um, he's the senior director of minor league operations now, so he's going to take over the Marlies and the Growlers as well. Shout out. Don't know if Ryan Hardy's been screeched in yet, but hopefully <laughs> we'll find that out. Um, so he's with the Chicago and the USHL for the last three seasons. As what was he G- GM? Um, he was he was GM. Um, I, th- I think he he was originally like director of player personnel. Uh, moved on to the GM role, I believe, and was uh, an amateur scout with the Bruins prior to that, yes. uh, and yeah. also worked with the uh, U.S. National Development Program as director of player personnel there as well. So um, I mean, th- this guy's got quite a resume, and he's thirty five, I think. So. Um, kind of another up-and-coming executive here in the mold of Kyle Dubas. And Joshua Cloak at The Athletic had a good piece on uh, Ryan Hardy that ran this week and a lot of good information in that about, uh, you know, Dubas and the friendship that he and Hardy have kind of developed over the years. And and um, the synergy kind of between the two organizations has been a lot of back and forth, including Noel Needham, who was a scout with the Leafs and then went to the Steel and uh, had some really great quotes in that piece kind of about Ryan Hardy's process, etc. So I encourage anyone who hasn't to uh, to check that piece out. Nick, what were your thoughts on, on this hiring? I, I love it. Like, I've been watching watching the, the steel quite a bit the last couple of years, even more so this year. They got uh, quite a few solid draft eligibles uh, on their team this year. They had a, an outstanding squad. They marched to the Clark Cup final and put out Fargo to win that. And, you know, Hardy's just done a great job of, of building that organization in the last few years. And just like you said, the symmetry that there has already been between Chicago and the Leafs um, – we drafted Nick Abrazesi out of the Chicago Steel program a couple of years ago. Uh, drafted Joe Miller last year, who was committed to the Steel and played out last season there. And Greg Moore, the coach of the Marlies, comes from the Chicago Steel. So there's been, you know, Hardy and Dubas are both quite familiar with each other. They've obviously developed a really strong relationship. Um, but I also think that they are both strong enough minds that they, they will be able to challenge each other and, and push each other to you know continue building this organization in, in the way that they see fit. It's, it seems like Hardy has a, a plan to put a real emphasis on 
you know, more so using the Marleys as a, a development system and, you know, their results as far as wins and losses will be secondary, uh, maybe even more so than it has been in the past, which I think is an encouraging thing. I think the direct quote was the Marleys primary objective is to prepare players to play for the Maple Leafs. And I, I think that's the way that it should be treated. And I, I'm excited that Ryan Hardy is going to be the guy in charge of that, just seeing the job that he's done in Chicago. And frankly, I trust Kyle Dubas. I very much believe in everything that he's doing. You know, not to say that all of his moves have been wins or that they've all been perfect. Everyone makes mistakes. But holistically, I, I really believe in what Kyle Dubas is doing. And I have all the trust in the world in him. So the fact that he is this high on a guy like Ryan Hardy just inherently makes me love the move. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at as well as, you know, despite the failures and the frustrations over the last couple of years, I my my kind of belief in, in what Dubas is doing hasn't wavered at all. And, and yeah, this is just a, another part. And, and I, I said this to you guys off air and, kind of very similar vibe to when Dubas was brought in in terms of like Shanahan bringing in Dubas as the you know the next kind of you know best executive not currently in the NHL or like up and coming executive right so the, the more minds like that that you put you know into a brain trust it, it, it only is going to yield good things and maybe and like you said they you know, they definitely don't think the game the exact same way, right? So there's different ways of looking at it. They're going to, you know, result in, in hopefully, I don't know, a stronger program. And I think what, when Dubas first came in, he had very similar comments about the way that the Marlies were, and the, I remember the analogy of like a double A and a triple A team for the ground or for the East Coast and the AHL. And yep. that's great. And I think maybe gotten away from that in the last couple of years with maybe a bit more of the kind of veteran AHL journeyman thing kind of going on. Um, but ultimately you got to fill out a roster and you don't, you don't want to be absolute dog shit either, but it's, it's more about like, you know, minute deployment and like situational type of stuff where it's like, you want those top kind of minutes and power play time and just good situation, offensive zone starts and stuff like that going to your, you don't want those going to the guy that's 29 playing for the Marlies so that's it's encouraging to hear just reading the piece right it it seems like Hardy is well aware of what his primary objective is and I think that's the most encouraging thing yeah a couple of GM of the year awards as well from the USHL in the last three years and um, some great tweets as well that his Twitter (laughs) account is is down now but um, the athletic uh, also ran a piece on him last year when he was you know with the the uh, Chicago organization there's some interesting stuff in that so here I'm going to read you some Ryan Hardy uh, excerpts here I hate the one three one with the bumper guy. It's stupid. To me, the bumper guy sums up hockey as a whole. Somebody uses it. It's mildly effective, but no more so than what they were doing before. Then everybody does it. In hockey circles, we then call that progress. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Here's another one. We reward defense too much in our sport and convince players that reliability, conformity, etc. is greater than skill. Skill, talent with substance, is king. Obsession with defense is for those lacking skill or creativity. It's almost like <sighs> Kyle Dubas unfiltered. Yeah, Kyle Dubas burner <laughs> account. Yeah. Uh, and last one. 
in my humble opinion, the draft itself is a bunch of nonsense. Players <laughs> arbitrarily ranked before the season based on hype slash public perception and rarely move off that spot. Nick, we're going to get to a couple of your prospect Ouch. reports Ouch. in a little Nick bit. Contributor to that. Uh, yeah. And I, I just want to say Owen Power played for Ryan Hardy under the Chicago Steel uh, last season before he went to Michigan. Just a little tease for your uh, prospect report. Reports, uh, <laughs> plural, later in the show. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that this is an interesting guy. This is a guy who, who thinks about hockey differently. I thought it was funny in the, in the athletic piece from last year about his tweets, how apparently he had people, you know, big wigs in the hockey world saying, are you sure you want to do this? You know, people are looking at that. That might hurt you in the job. And it's like, those are like, that. that's the ultimate breaking of the hockey code. In hockey circles, we then call that progress. Blacklisted. <laughs> You're fucking out. Like it's just it's so funny to me. But yeah, very uh milk toast tweets, but for hockey, spicy. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um but yeah, excited for that hire and uh, excited to see, yeah, what what you know it leads to in terms of the the development. Um, it, it's funny, I think it kind of speaks to, you know, the, the mentality of the current Leafs regime that you know maybe those tweets and that kind of attitude did get Hardy blacklisted in a lot of spots but it's probably what made him such an enticing candidate for Dubas and the Leafs yeah works out for me yeah uh, other hiring news um, not directly involving the Leafs but uh, Seattle hired Dave Haxtall as their head coach uh, also Paul McFarland as an assistant uh, both of them serving under Babcock uh, McFarland was back in OHL Kingston this last season uh, Haxtall was still with the Leafs of course and um, now headed off to the, the Kraken which I, I didn't really see that one coming there were, there were a I lot don't of think names anybody saw around. that coming no that was a strange no. one yeah and, and I'm not even mad. Like, see you later, Dave. No, but yeah, it doesn't but, seem like guys that lose their job as head coaches in the not too distant past end up with another head coach job that quickly. And it's not like he like necessarily not, not guys like Dave Haxtell. Yeah, like, like you know, we're not talking about Joel Quenville. Or no, and I, I mean specifically right? like yeah. I mean specifically like first time guys that kind of come yeah. in, fizzle out, and leave, and like. It's not like he rehabilitated his career in Toronto. Like, you know, they we, we don't shit. we don't need to talk about the shortcomings anymore. Like, what 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 did he do to to gain it? I don't. Know. Yeah, like you said, who, who fucking cares, really? But strange. Yeah, uh, it was definitely um, something I didn't see coming either, and you know, lots of other names linked, Rick Tockett, etc. But apparently, there's a relationship there with, with Ron Francis, so um, you would think that maybe someone yeah. with connections in the hockey media could have sniffed that one out, but uh, doesn't sound that way. Um, but interesting hire nonetheless. Um, and as I mentioned, Paul McFarland, Keith, are you familiar with Paul McFarland's playing career? He's the Acadia guy, right? There you go. Yeah, yeah, he was the captain of the yeah. Axemen. He's uh, so my buddy Ryan Graham played. Uh, he was like roommate type situation with me at Acadia, and he he was on the hockey team. Um, He's the captain. Yeah, like I'm trying to think if I don't think Paul was there when I was there, but Ryan was a couple of years older than me, and he played with Paul. Like knew of him, let's say. But uh, yeah, captain of Acadia, definitely a guy, a name known around campus for sure. There you go. So while we're on the Seattle topic. Um, Let's talk expansion draft. 
Do you guys have? Did you guys actually do lists? No, I mean, I've kind of been doing lists in my head yeah. for a year and a half now. So. <laughs> so I don't have anything furnished in front of me or anything, but I've <laughs> I've, I've, I've been on armchair GM enough. <laughs> yeah, it's not going to be a, a, an exciting reveal if we all read off Austin Matthews, William <laughs> Nylander. John Tavares. So I and obviously, um, you know, Mitch Marner. Those are the four forwards. I think we can all agree are on our list. And then you mm-hmm. look at defense, and you have Morgan Riley. You have T.J. Brody. You have Jake Muzzin. Three no-brainers, I think, as well. And then in goal, obviously, you protect Jack Campbell um, at all costs. All now, <laughs> at, at this point, is there anyone who goes? Um, seven forwards, three D, one goalie, or, or are you guys in the eight forwards and D, one goalie camp? I think it's got to be the eight skaters. Like, I think so, too. Is there, is there a fifth forward on the Leafs roster when you take into consideration contributions, cap hit, role on the team that is more valuable than, than either of Hall or, or Dermott at this point? Uh, I just don't see it. I mean, like you can make the argument for Kerfoot, but I think, you know, even, you know, his three and a half million dollar ticket, it might be a little bit rich for what he's provided to the Leafs. But he's one of those guys that could be enticing to an expansion franchise that can give him a larger role and aren't necessarily looking to compete for a Stanley Cup right away. Um, for me, it's it's got to be the, the four forwards and then four D-men. Uh, and, you know, you outlined who the, the four up front and and three sure things on the back end are it, it almost just comes down to a question of of Dermot and Hall at least for me where are you at on it Keith yeah that's exactly it like it's pretty clear that that's the route to go and then it just comes down to who do you protect uh, and I think I mean we all pretty much I don't want to speak for you but I think we're all kind of in the boat of of protecting Dermot he's younger probably has more upside than Hall and and that's something that doesn't get talked about enough in this debate, I don't think. It's like Everyone almost treats Hall and Dermot as if they're you know, at equal places in their career arcs, yeah. and that's just not the case at all. No. No. And, and I, I, it's an interesting debate, right? Because like you've got two guys who have been part of the program since early in Dubas' time with Toronto, right? Um, and, and I think you have to look at it like where is the value? And to me – You've squeezed blood from a stone with Justin Hall. Uh, like yeah, I think that, yeah. yep. I think that Dermot is the guy that you hope can step up and contribute to a greater degree, as we were talking about. And you know, now's the time to to kind of let him lose. So you know, Kerfoot, ideally, you don't want to lose him. But for me, I, I think you leave him with their choice of Hall and Kerfoot. You protect Dermot. Um, you hope that they take Hall. Maybe you explore something where you pay a small price to ensure that outcome. But um, I'm probably inclined to just kind of let them take their pick. And if you lose Kerfoot, so be it. You've got Hall and you've got a, you know, you're basically running back a a very solid defensive unit that, you know, did a lot for you last season. And and I'm not upset with that either. Yeah, I I think those are all great points. I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to think if there's any like off the board people that that could get picked. The only, uh, like if the Leafs do decide to go, uh, four forwards and four D-men, whether that's Hall or Dermot being the fourth. Um, even beyond like talking about, is there a fifth forward that's worth protecting? There definitely isn't a sixth and seventh no. forward that's that's no. worth protecting, right? We're, we're getting into Pierre Engvall, Adam Brooks. Uh, Mikheyev's exempt. Uh, 
Oh, that's uh, right. Yeah, I can always forget that. He's, he's always, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and the only the only thing is that now, you know, you've got a coach there who was here, and who did he like? So was, you know, now you've got a situation where, and I don't think that this is obviously going to happen, but, like, did he love Wayne Simmons? <laughs> like, he'd be available now yeah. because mm-hmm. of the contract. Did so, he love Alex I mean, Kerfoot? They're not going to waste like the pick on you know a Simmons or a Spezza, obviously, but like um, you know maybe Engvall could be an off the board pick. Um, yeah, and it's it's all I, like, the side deal thing intrigues me too. Like I, you saw so many in, with Vegas. Like I, I, but I mean most of them. I don't think you're going to see that again. Most and, of them got burned, so like I, I just don't see anybody doing that again. Yeah, that's why I agree with with cam's assessment and, and maybe that is why you can say like hey we'll throw you a fourth if you leave us uh kerfoot and take hall because you're not getting assets out the yin yang like fucking no, mcphee man. managed in vegas right so maybe that even like maybe the fact that there aren't going to be side deals helps you because you are a team that should consider a side deal you know in 2017 you were not and, and now it's like maybe there's something to be done here to keep Kerfoot, if if you have maybe a plan for him on the wing or something, um, I, I don't know. But um, I, I think I, if I, Kerfoot's on this team next year, he's a he's a winger. Yeah, if not, he's or, or, or yeah. he better be. Like, like uh, I think it's become very clear that the, the third line's current composition or the, or what they've tried in the last couple of years just hasn't been the answer. No. Uh, I, I think if if you're gonna make any progress on that front, you, you almost have to start in the middle. So if if Kerfoot's still on this team next year, I, I think it's you know kind of filling maybe that Zach Hyman role or, or the other top six left wing spot. Yeah, I, I haven't been. I've I've kind of almost like rallied around Kerfoot because I feel like he gets a lot of unnecessary hate. But I think also at the same time, it's extremely clear that he's a more valuable player in that like second left wing spot than third line center. <laughs> You know what? This is going to sound ridiculous, but I think like even he's better as a second line center than he is as a third line center. And, yeah, and, and no, I, I know think what you it's mean. just it's just a matter of the the style of game that he plays. Like he's clearly a very intelligent hockey player. He's got a little bit of skill, but I, like the way that he worked with Nylander in the playoffs, I, I think to get the best out of Kerfoot, you're not getting the best out of him when you're asking him to be a, a shutdown center and, you know, play with two grinding wingers yeah. to get the most out of Alex Kerfoot, you, you want to put him with players that can kind of take advantage of that intelligence and vision that he has, you know, and, and bury those chances. Like he, he's, he can put so many passes on the tape of, of Wayne Simmons or fucking Ilya Mikheyev. <laughs> or pure Engvall. Yeah, well, at least fucking Engvall scored a few. Like, yeah. Mikheyev is like the most confounding case uh, like last year was just one of the craziest things i ever saw in terms of you know the ways that he's gonna uh, go uh, they're gonna uh, trade they're gonna trade him and he's gonna score 25 goals next year it's the yeah, i've completely yeah. resolved to that fact well you know what i was was going to kind of lead into that with is mckayev a guy that you know maybe seattle would be interested in he's exempt from the ex, uh, expansion draft but is he someone that would you know maybe be enticing enough if the Leafs say, hey, we'll give you Ilya Mikheyev, leave Justin Hall alone and take Pierre Engvall with him or something like that. It, it, you know, uh, a yeah. lesser a lesser version of the Riley Smith, Jonathan Marcus <laughs> thing. <laughs> yeah. But but I, I don't know. It's, there, I think there's still 
it, it might not be as cut and dry as it appears on the surface as far as like, you know, just protecting the, the eight skaters or the, or the 10 skaters, whatever method you so desire. Uh, you know, I think Dubas is definitely having those discussions with Francis as well as, you know, like the rest of his staff on, you know, what the best way to proceed is here. I, I think that Mikheyev is a guy that at 1.6 million could be someone that's enticing to an expansion franchise if they don't want to be locked into a guy like Justin Hall who's pushing 30 and still has two years left on his deal. It's not overly expensive or anything, but yeah. I just, I don't see... I mean, it really all depends on what they get elsewhere, too. Like, you know, it's it's hard to fit in how they view their, their roster. They might have, yeah. they might hit large on four or five defensemen that they're super pumped about, and then they, they don't need Justin Hall, and they, they do want well, an Alex Kerfoot, right? And if you think back to the Vegas expansion draft, that was sort of the case where there was a lot of defensemen available, yeah. right? Yeah. So... It, it, it could turn out that way again, where it's just a, a numbers game kind of makes Kerfoot the guy. Uh, yeah, I, I just I th- I think like Vegas is a very 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 unique situation in terms of expansion franchises across all pro sports. Like, yeah, it, it's not normal for an expansion <laughs> franchise to to come in and be a fucking championship contender every year from the time that they join the league. Yeah. And I, I don't necessarily believe that Seattle is naive enough to assume that it's going to go that way for them as well. So when you're kind of taking stock of things and deciding how you want to build your roster, is that $2 million defenseman who's pushing 30 years old and is kind of played above his head? Is, it like, is Justin Hall even something that interests you if you're Seattle? No, I'd I'd be going for more, you know, maybe upside. Like I feel like he's a guy. In terms of value, like you remember when you know Vegas did bring in a bunch of those guys and then flip them, right? Like Hall's yeah. almost a guy who's cheap enough, and, and you know maybe a, a contender wants him in a depth role or something, and and he, yeah. he goes and he's kind of doing what he was doing in Toronto elsewhere, and he doesn't actually stay in Seattle very long, right? Maybe that's the situation. Yeah, that makes sense. If I, if I'm Seattle, honestly, I would be going after Kerfoot. Just what is he? He has two more years left on his deal at three and a half. Yeah. And if you could have him coming in as your second line center, like that's enough to be, you know, that's not a championship caliber team, but they're not going to be a championship caliber team. And they ultimately need players. And he's not, you know, he's not old or anything like that. He's not, he's not young. But I think you get more value out of him. Yeah, you can be, you can feel more confident. I think that Kerfoot is going to be a, a useful player for you. you I know? think like he's going to be one yeah. of the better forwards, or at least one of the better centers available to them. Yeah. So I, I, when you yeah. factor in like contract situation and stuff like that, like that's that's who I would be going after. So I could very much see Cam like one of those. If the Leafs have plans for him in the top six as a, as a winger one of those like hey we'll give you a, a little bit of compensation to not take him but i would not like as much as i just said i like kerfoot i also wouldn't really be all that miffed if he was not on the team next year just because of the fact that that three and a half million in cap space could go a long ways with free agency and just kind of rounding up the team we're going to get into this uh, in the coming weeks here but th- there are a lot of you know good options out there in free agency too so if, if- if Dubas is more of the mind that he wants to kind of retool up front and and shuffle the deck chairs around a bit, maybe maybe you want Kerfoot to be the one that gets selected. I, I don't know. It, 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 there's still a lot up in the air. We're still a couple of weeks out. 
Uh, we're starting to see, you know, things starting to shake loose a little bit in terms of player movement and, and contract extensions and things like that here. Trade rumors are heating up. There could still be a, a deal made by the Leafs ahead of the expansion draft where all of a sudden we're talking yeah, about, the, okay, the, mis- the CJ mystery player. Yeah, but hey, I, we, I bet you, I bet you, Michael Granlin and Alex Kerfoot were damn near the same size jersey. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, uh, I think Granlin, did Granlin wear fifteen too? Am I imagining that? Yeah. Uh, I couldn't maybe, fucking tell you. Maybe, maybe for <laughs> Finland, I'm not sure. Uh, so, um, Nick w- mentioned it kind of briefly earlier. Owen Power, he is the uh, number one rated prospect by many um, but you've released some draft content uh, the past week both on the Leafs Nation also uh, through Dauber Prospects and uh, the number one prospect both on your list and for Dauber is Matthew Beneers who is uh, Power's teammate at Michigan Um, what is the scoop on Matthew Beneers Matthew Beneers is going to instantly be a fan and coach favorite for whatever team is lucky enough to end up with him. Um, I'm, I'm like really hoping that he doesn't actually go first overall because I think Buffalo is, you know, going to fuck up almost anyone that they take. And I really believe in veneers. <laughs> um, n- no, like the kid just plays such a, an advanced game for his age. I think the biggest things that stand out when you watch him, it, it's the motor and the fact that he has the, the skating ability to, to put that motor to, the best possible use he does not take a shift off uh, he doesn't take a stride off like this guy does not coast around the ice he is a super effective player in transition he he's not just fast he's agile he can he's got that four-way mobility where he can kind of weave through checks in the neutral zone he's a great transporter of the puck he's a very very strong defensive center especially for a player his age as effective as he is in offensive transition, he, he's a menace on the back check and takes great routes. It, he's just such an all-around player. When you look at how you want to start building a team, we talked about this before. Like, If I'm Seattle and I have the, the choice of what guy – if I have the first overall pick building a brand-new franchise in this draft class, it's zero hesitation for me that it's Matthew Beneers. I, I think – in a year that's so uncertain and there's, you know, maybe not that true generational talent, like, you know, there's no Connor McDavid, there's no Austin Matthews, there's not a Jack Eichel in this draft either. But when you weigh a player's, you know, potential upside against what their floor is, I don't think anyone in this draft balances that better than Beneers. Like, you don't have to squint very hard to see how he's going to be an effective NHL center. And I don't think you have to look too long into the future to see that happening either. It's just he's the surest thing in this draft for me, and I still think that there's a a lot of upside there offensively as well. He put up uh, 24 points in 24 games with Michigan this year as a freshman. It's nothing to sneeze at. Uh, But it's just his all-around game, I think, is what's going to have scouts falling in love with him and what's going to have an NHL team calling his name really early on draft day. Yeah, um, I know that this is a guy you've been high on all season, and, and consistency is, is a big thing, right? And especially in a, in a year where, like you said, it doesn't seem like there is that, that high-end guy 
like maybe reliable is kind of what you're you're more looking for. And it's not like you know he's a he's a low skill guy by any means, right? Like this is a guy with pretty solid offensive abilities all around. Yeah, and I think he's been a little sort of diminished in that regard just because of the emphasis that's been placed on his all-around game when scouts are talking about him. But he is definitely no offensive slouch. He's not the most talented offensive player even in this draft, but he is a very capable producer. Like He can distribute the puck just fine for, for a, a center. He, he's going to set... Who's your NHL comparable for him? Honestly, like there, there's a lot of Braden Point in his game, just like the, the overall pace and the, the fact that he's able to impact things in so many different ways. It, off the top of my head, there's a lot of Braden Point in, in Matty Beneers' game. The, the overall speed, the the responsible defensive game, and the ability to, to make the guys around him better. And, and what another thing that will be enticing in terms of you know Beneers' projection is they and you can say the same about Power. Uh, you watched Matthew Beneers and Owen Power play against more mature competition this year. They're freshmen at the mm. NCAA level. You know, that's it's it's not a, a common occurrence that we have NCAA freshmen near the top of the draft, let alone three of them from the same program who, you know, adding Kent Johnson to that, to be the final member of that trio. Those guys are all, you know, probably going to be taken in the top 10 of this draft. But Beneers and Power also played at the, the Men's World Championships just a few weeks ago. And they performed admirably there. So you can... You can see that they're already capable of of holding their own against competition that's much more mature than they are. So, well, in, in a season where there's like you know very limited scout time, like with the way that junior hockey happened this year or, or didn't happen, you know, like maybe you know, obviously the fact that you've got you know tape and hours of them playing against closer competition to the NHL is only going to help them. I think that's yeah, a, a huge point. Definitely. And like you only have to look at a guy like Brant Clark who kind of came into the season a lot of people touting him as the, as the top prospect in this draft and the you know the OHL never ended up getting going. He was forced to go overseas and play in a men's pro league. And you know, he had a bit of a slow start and maybe that sort of knocked him down draft boards and he didn't get to play in his his home league, but you can only as scouts, we can only go on the material we have. And the material we have was Brant Clark having a bit of a slow start overseas before picking it up, but not to the point where he has, you know, held that position above Owen Power and guys like Matty Beneers on most draft boards. So it, it, it is a tough thing, you know. Is, is Beneers benefiting from other guys like Brant Clark not getting that kind of showcase? Maybe, but that, that's where we're at. And, that's, all you know, have, that's all you have to work with. So. Obviously, there's a lot of projection that goes into scouting. You're trying to envision not just what a player is capable of today, but the, the, what their tools will allow them to be capable of in the future. But still, you, you can only go on, on the material you have. And I think that you know, for guys like Beneers and Power and a lot of the European prospects who got something that – more resembled a, a, a normal season, I think it definitely benefited them in terms of you know their draft stock. Uh, we'll we'll shake you down for another draft report in our Patreon episode. Uh, we will um, get you to tell us 
why you don't have Owen Power, number one, why you hate him, and uh, why you think he's a bum. Um, <laughs> so a few things just to um, get to before we wrap this one. The Toronto Six have been very busy. I don't know if you guys have been following this at all, but over the last month, they've made a number of additions, both um, on in the front and office. Off. Yeah. yeah, and on the ice as well. Um, some really exciting stuff, uh, including... Um, a number of uh, player re-signings, such as uh, Michaela Grant-Mentis, of course, the MVP uh, leading scorer. Uh, she was just a, a phenomenon in, in the abbreviated season. And uh, Lane Chuli, who, who was the goaltender as well, who I know won a lot of fans. Um, Mark Jocelyn appointed the head coach of the Toronto Six as well. And uh, Angela James, legendary Canadian hockey player, um, uh, joining the coaching staff as well as an assistant. Uh, the draft took place, uh, and they also named a general manager, Christy Clark. So it's been a busy few weeks in Toronto Six world. Lots of re-signings, lots of player signings, and the number one thing I wanted to mention was uh, Soroya Tinker signed with the Toronto Six as well, which is pretty cool. She's from Toronto. She played with the New York uh, squad, the Riveters, uh, the New York-based team, and um, has been, you know, a, a, a huge voice uh, in the NWHL, speaking out, um, you know, about equality for Black Lives Matter, um, etc. She, you know, she's really been, um, you know, a, a, a front and center uh, voice for progress in the sport, and uh, pretty cool to see her kind of coming home and, and joining the Six. So, um, really exciting stuff uh, as you know they prepare for uh, another season. So if you can't bring yourself to get excited about the Leafs again next season, at least you've got the six. Mm-hmm. Yeah, something uh, something to occupy your mind for sure. So that's, yeah, that's exciting. Um, uh, and uh, kind of a more somber uh, story to, to move to, um, as everyone has heard by now, Matisse Kivlenix, the Columbus Blue Jackets goaltender, um, was killed in a fireworks accident in Michigan at the home of former NHL goalie Manny Legacy, the Blue Jackets goalie coach. Um, man, th- this was a tough, tough story uh, playing out this week. Um, you know, th- this is a guy who was young, 24, right? And yeah. just like, I mean, it seems like Columbus has been that Latvian goalie pipeline and mm-hmm. Elvis Merzlikens supposedly was was there as well at this party where this happened and I can't imagine what what you know effect that's that's had on him and um just a, a terrible thing and you know Nick you just mentioned the world championships um like one of one of Kiv Lennox's last performances would have been a 38 save shutout of Canada um in a 2 nothing win for Latvia at the world championships um, just recently and Latvia, man, that's a small and passionate hockey country and one that went through another tragic loss. If you guys remember of a young player back in 2013, uh, when Oilers prospect Christian Pelsch drowned, um, thoughts are with them. That's, that's brutal. And, uh, absolutely heartbreaking, man. That was devastating. Yeah. 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 Um, when, when the world championships were in Halifax in 2008, the Latvians were the best, like the, the most fun, just banging drums through the street. Like I said, passionate hockey country. And um, I'm sure that this one's uh, hitting home there. So that's a tough one for sure. Um, 
And one more thing I wanted to mention as well. Um, obviously, there's been a, a you know a lot playing out in our country with uh, residential schools and with um, the discovery of more than a thousand um, graves of, of children, indigenous children who were were killed by these awful, awful institutions. Um, you know, not to get too far into it here. We're, oh, we're, I don't, I don't mind getting into to going at the Catholic Church. This, <laughs> this, but I wanted to kind of put kind of a, a, a slightly positive spin, obviously, because we're going to get a chance, I think, to talk about this and maybe some more depth um, down the road where we're not just kind of putting a wrap on things here, because the, I feel like everyone's kind of resigned to the fact that like this is a story that's going to play out all summer. And it should like we, we should be uh, uncovering this. We, we should be trying to, uh, you know, do, do we, good we by these people. Sure that it never gets to a point where this is something that people don't know about or is forgotten absolutely absolutely you know like uh, we definitely weren't taught all of this stuff growing up and i I, I think that that's you know one of the the biggest things here is just the the ignorance that we've all had to you know the the devastation that's been caused to first nations people yeah over the over the last few centuries And, and you know it's not even that fucking long ago that the, the last one of these quote unquote schools closed. It, it's just f- fucking horrifying to even, you know, put yeah. yourself in that, in that headspace. Every, every indigenous person, you know, is either their parent or grandparent or even them, I guess is, is a survivor of resident residential school. That's, it's not something you're right. Nick. it's not something we were taught or, 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 you know, I don't remember ever hearing about this until my adult life, which is, you know, shame on me for not, I guess, seeking out more information on things like that. But also like now that we know it, you're, you're absolutely, you know, bang on that. It's, it's up to us to kind of not let it fall out of the forefront. Yeah. And so, I mean, this will continue to to play out as they search these properties, and and it's going to be a tough summer, I think. Um, But Landon Tony is a young boy from uh, Valley, Nova Scotia, which is near Truro, Um, and he's 12 years old. He's Mi'kmaq. Landon's great-grandmother was a survivor of the Shubenacadie Residential School in Nova Scotia. And starting on Canada Day, Landon set out from his home, um, walked almost 200 kilometers to the Annapolis Valley First Nation. And just a, an incredible um, thing that, that unfolded in Nova Scotia over the course of a week or so while he walked. And uh, I followed along on social media like they did not skimp. They they walked every single step of that walk, <laughs> and he had a GoFundMe going. Um, as of you know the time that we're recording, uh, it's approaching. It just passed over forty three thousand dollars. So um, they're doing great things there to to you know help the the uh, local Mi'kmaq community, and uh, you know that money's going to go to people who need it. So um, just wanted to give him a shout out. Really really cool thing that he decided to do. Obviously, while all this heartbreaking news is playing out across the country. And, um, you know, he decided to, to kind of do something positive with his Canada Day and uh, the, the, the number of days that followed, because I think it was six days maybe that it took them to, to finish the walk. But uh, shout out to Landon. Really cool. Hell of a job, young man. Yeah. Awesome. Um, okay, let's wrap it up. We'll get a little Patreon episode off here in a moment, but we want to finish with a guy that we've heard before, your buddy, Drew Keith. Um, 
we got a new tune here. Yeah. Can, can you tee this one up for us? Yeah. So Drew's project. Uh, so uh, Drew Sweet is a, a friend of mine from St. John. Friend and, of the uh, show. Drew friend Sweet. of the show at this point. He's, uh, he's yeah, a, we played a, Drew. become a Leafs Twitter uh, you know, member, I guess, if, if that's not necessarily something you want to be proud of. But um, <laughs> he's uh, – yeah, he's, so his group – Subtle is, is the name of the band. Now, I, I've alluded to this before in, in previous episodes when we played them, but it, Subtle is really Drew. Um, it's kind of like it's his, it's him. Um, he does it all. Yeah. He does it all. Like live, he'll have a kind of a rotating cast of, of you know, of familiar faces around like the St. John music scene and, and a lot of repeat people that have always played with him and stuff like that. But um, he recently recorded uh, a two song, um, I guess you'd call it an EP. Um, with uh so at a studio in saint john that's owned and operated by Corey bonnevie who is a part of a band um called little you little me which is a pretty prominent rock band um in saint john as well one of the bigger in the city um so Corey is a studio drew went in recorded every uh every instrument i believe in like a ridiculously short period of time like like over a couple of, of days kind of thing like a couple of sessions um came out with a, a two song um ep that was recently released so we're gonna play uh haze from subtle's most recent release <laughs> <laughs> 